glad you're here. My name is Crispina French, and I'm your host of the Rags to Riches podcast. I'm an OG textile alchemist, worked my way through art school making ragamuffins from thrift store sweaters way back in the 1980s. That college side hustle grew into a full-fledged business, and here I am to show you that you can do that too. Together, we'll navigate hurdles, challenges, and accomplishments while crafting your profitable textile upcycling business to serve you and the planet. My guests and I will cover topics including material sourcing, business savvy, product development, sales and marketing, and self-care. Overcoming struggles, celebrating wins, and reaping rewards of running your very own textile upcycling business is what we are all about. Are you ready to be inspired, energized, and supported? This is the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Today's episode of Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast is brought to you by Sideshow Clothing on Etsy and in person in Craryville, New York. Are you a burgeoning fashion icon who delights in your individual style? Maybe you have a penchant for really good clothing, a love of creative presentation, and respect for our life-giving planet. Or, if you are like me, you like to wear well-made clothing to handle your daily grind and stand up to the test of time. Sideshow Clothing has what you need. Vintage workwear, boots galore, jackets, dresses, ethnic and western wear, the works. Mary curates this creamy collection of inventory, some dating back over 100 years, but mostly fashions from the 1970s through the 1990s. If you want to honor the quality of well-made clothing and stand out in the crowd, check out sideshowclothing.com, where you will find an anecdote to fast fashion and so much more. Hey, listeners out there in the wild world of podcast land, I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today. Um, Bridget O'Flaherty and I have actually had this really cool opportunity to meet over the last couple months, really. Um, She is the Sustainable Quilter, and she hosts a podcast called Threads of Sustainability, and I was so honored to be a guest on her podcast um, just a couple weeks ago and really wanted to continue the conversation. And also, I mean, you're not that you had to have listened to our previous conversation to appreciate this one, but it's just a really nice connection that we share. And I feel like this will kind of pick up where we left off on that conversation. And anybody who hasn't had an opportunity to check out Threads of Sustainability, it's available in all the podcasty places like the Rags to Riches podcast is. So Bridget, welcome. I'm so glad to have you with me today. Thanks for having me here, Crispina. It's really nice. Yeah, to continue the conversation. It's really super. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. So when we were talking the last time we were, you know, first of all, we share a lot of common threads. (laughs) Sorry. I just, I had, that was, that was like the worst. All right. It's a quilter slash textile upcycler, bad mom joke, but, um, talk a little bit about your work and what you do and kind of how that led you to where you are now. Um, Okay, so that's a big bucket of stuff to talk about. Um, So my background is really in quilting, but I became um, a 
through my quilting, I became a thread painter. So I do free motion embroidery and I create landscapes and nature and represent different landscapes in nature that way through my thread painting. And I do big pieces there. They tend to be, and they tend to be solid threads. So we have lots of threads. Um, and they're going to keep coming all the way through this. Yeah. Did you see the new app that's out now? It's called threads. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's built for quilters, right. And textile artists, as far as I'm concerned, think so yeah 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 um i'm just curious to know how many different ways can we use the word thread and play on it in there anyway (laughs) i digress so yeah my background really is and that's that's my art is exploring thread painting and i also have sort of this dual life and i have this science side of me as well and i have worked in the building industry for the last 12 years as an energy advisor and a sustainability consultant. And it, the two worlds kind of just collided with each other. And it became apparent to me that in my quilt world and in my textile work that I'm doing, I could no longer ignore what I know to be true about material use. And so I started exploring what that could look like, how I could bring sustainability into my textiles, because it wasn't a part of the narrative for many, many years. Yeah. Unlike you, where you started back in, in your early days, like right out of the gate, you were upcycling. For me, it was more, uh, I was exploring the art of everything. And I was put into this world because of my mother is a huge part of where my history with quilting she started a quilt store. I worked with her in the quilt store. And so I was exposed to this world of quilting, right? And I was ex- exposed to this um, industry, really. That there's this huge industry. We were buying material. We would meet with sales reps and we would see all of the options that were available and bring that stuff in. So I was part of that churn. And, and I didn't realize how um, inappropriate it really is. <laughs> Well, it's so funny, right? No. When you look back at it now, I'm sure just with the, your life experience in the meantime, it's like quilts are kind of like the original upcycled pieces. Right. And right? We, I don't know where it along the way, the the world shifted in that and that, that it, it became a commodification rather than about that upcycling and the connectivity as well, right? It's community oriented and it still really is. Like quilters are very notoriously community community oriented. And so that's still a big part of what goes on in that industry, but it's commodified in such a massive way and connected to those materials to support this industry. And that, yeah. that for me is where I went, ah, I'm not okay with that anymore. Not okay with that. <laughs> yeah. It's so, that's so cool. And what a, what a great, um, you know, to have that opportunity as a kid with your mom being like this influential creative, um, force in your life. And then to be able to go, that was really helpful. And now I'm going to take this on and, and build in the other piece of your life. That is the sustainability minded, like building trade. Like that's just, it's so cool. And, and, Wow, that's awesome. So, and now I I feel like the quilts that I see and, you know, I'm not a quilter. I've actually only ever, I I made a quilt once and um, (laughs) 
I, well, there, there's a cool story. My kids are, I have three kids, but my two younger kids are 16 and 17 years old right now. And when they were, I think they were like eight and nine or nine and 10, something like that. We went to Ireland and they went to school there for a year. Cool. And um, it was amazing. We just, it was, it was, it was really a wonderful experience. Um, and the kids in the sixth class made all all the girls, and yeah, it was very gender specific. Um, the girls all made quilts, and it was an after school program that the teacher of the fifth and sixth graders had one teacher, and um, she was also the principal, and she also ran the quilting club after school, and. <laughs> And she was in, her husband was a dairy farmer and had, you know, in the spring they would have calves, like they'd be calving. So she'd often be like, you know, come to school at 10 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And it didn't matter. Like it was all just fine. Like that's just their culture. And it was just such a refreshing change from what we are used to in, in Massachusetts. But, um, that was, I helped her. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to help kids quilt because, I yeah. figure I'll learn something, right? Like I'll know, I'll know how to do this. And it was just so amazing. It was just such a lovely introduction to, you know, she, it, she had created a really simple design for kids to start with so that they could actually complete it yeah. and have it done. And, you know, one of the things that was especially cool was that all the kids had different pieces of each other's fabric and their quilts. So, oh, and, cool. and I don't, yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like, oh, can I have a piece of your purple? It wasn't like organized. It was just like, you know, I need this or, or no, but that, that, that reaches back to that that idea of community and shared experiences, right? And sharing materials as well. Like that would have been part of the traditions of making quilts, right? Yeah, and that's where I went with it when you were talking. Is like when you have that kind of mixed up, kind of old, new. You know, I have a piece of Bridget's. Bridget's got a piece of mine. It's it tells a lot, a much longer story, right? Yeah. There's like this more connection. There's a deeper connection and a longer story, and it, it touches upon different pieces of your 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 history and and somebody whoever's history you chose to share the fabric of um, in your piece. So it's just something that I recognize. And I feel like, you know, maybe that new fabric um, ideal that came into the quilting industry was in response to people feeling like, well, poor people make quilts out of old clothes because they have right. to. Right. No, and it, and it became much, it, it, it was, and it still isn't, it's it, inaccessible to a lot of people. If that's the route you're going to buy new material, that's not an accessible and sustainable situation for people who don't have that kind of income. So it became a very um, privileged craft to be doing, really. Yeah. Yeah. And and I didn't know that I was in that. I didn't realize that I was sitting in that space until the last, you know, five to 10 years when I've been really working at this other work doing sustainability consulting. And, and I kind of took this step back and went, wait a minute, this isn't okay. So, so it's not okay, but what do I do? How do I deal with this? So yeah. what I wanted to try and find actually was fabric made in Canada. Well, it doesn't exist. Oh, we don't have fabric. Yeah, well, Canada, yeah, I bet you're. Th- right? Yeah, interesting. That would. That's another way to look at the sustainability piece. Trying of- to do the hundred mile diet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I found the whole 
world of, of materials and new materials kind of problematic. And I was trying to figure out how I might be able to do that on my own in a different way, like trying to access Canadian fabrics and materials, which is very complicated. We don't really have that here. So I contacted my neighbor who lives across the road from me and he raises sheep. And I decided I wanted to try out wool because wool we do have an abundance here in Canada. Uh-huh. Um, and so I, and I didn't know how to felt or do anything at all around wool, <laughs> but I thought, oh, well, here's, I'm going to learn. So I went over and I did shearing the sheep and then I started washing the the fleeces and then picking them and carting them, making them into rovings. And then I started, um, felting them and figuring out how to felt fabric and made my own fabric basically. And now wow. that's what I stitch on most of the time. I still use um, cottons and linens, but I mostly try to go and upcycle where I can. Like I go thrifting and looking for that material where wherever I can. Um, and if I do need to buy new materials, I'm looking at something that's certified. So organics and um, trying to find ways to still have sustainability built into it if I really need those new materials. And so all of that journey kind of led me to realize that many quilters have no idea of what they don't know, right? Like they don't know what's going on in the world of textiles. They don't understand that quilting is a part of textiles. And that fast fashion piece that everybody talks about, and that's the the big evil thing, which arguably it is, but quilting's part of it. Because we still have materials produced for us to be able to make quilts. We are not always upcycling and thrifting. We have new fabric lines coming out every three or four months, and they are pushed and pushed and pushed with new designers. It's exciting stuff. It's so exciting. And they're beautiful. The the trends that are happening are so beautiful. So I don't think that... So I realized that, yeah, people just don't understand that piece. So I started talking about it. I started talking about it. And that's where your podcast comes in, right? That's where my podcast comes in. And I started wanting to talk to different people because in my work as a consultant, we look at sustainability from like three pillars. So there's in the world of building and development, sustainable development, the pillars are people, profit, planet, which all, again, mm-hmm. sounds really commodified, and I don't really like looking at it that way. But if we take a look at the people part of that, that's the social aspect. That's the impacts not only of who you're working with and the projects you're working on, but who worked on your materials to begin with. Who were mm-hmm. those people? Because every single piece of fabric we use, somebody's hands touch that to make it. Yeah. So those people are people we need to consider when we're making purchases. Right. And, and not only where we're going to put it, but, you know, where did it come from? So that's the people piece. And then the profit piece, we can look at that as, you know, we want to have a slim bottom line. Sure. That, but that's not actually sustainable that because the people that are involved in the production are the ones that are taking the hit for that. So right. profit can really be more about the benefits of what we're doing And it's not only to the people that are doing the production, but also to ourselves. So we're doing these great projects, right? We're out there in the world doing these great things that we want to do. We're putting it out into our communities. There's so much benefit in creating textiles. And you and I talked about that in our podcast, right? 
the benefits that we get from being in textiles and how related that seems to be to our, like there's almost an ancestral pull in for a lot of people, right? Yep. And we just, I have a need to be around fabrics and textiles in whatever way. Mm -hmm. And it fills my cup. It totally fills my cup. And so that's a benefit. That's a profit that we get from this world, right? Yeah. And then there's the materials. And so that's the planet, right? How those materials are produced, where they're put out into the world, the chemical impacts, the the way that they affect the environment that they are around. And the environment includes the people and animals within the community. It's not just one thing. So those things are all really interlinked, right? We don't have sustainability if we don't have people, profit, and planet considered in all of That's it. awesome. And it's so cool because I feel like, you know, the profit piece has traditionally been all about dollars and cents and like bottom yeah. line and money, money, like, you know, is it worth it and that sort of thing. But when you start to widen the horizon and really look at the benefits outside of the financial gains, yeah. um, textile, and, and it's ancient, it's really ancient. Like, yep. There's so like in, in what we were sharing when we were talking on on your podcast a few weeks ago about how, you know, there's this like this like sort of infinite circle of of wins, I call it, where, you know, with upcycling, you're you're using something that's, you know, deemed trash by somebody. Right. Who doesn't know any better. And then you're you're turning it in your creating this amazing thing. Like you're making magic happen. You're taking something that is actually somebody called trash and turning it into something of value. And then the process, the the thing that happens in your brain when you're in that flow state of making is this, you know, there's just on and on and on and on and on. Well, and that so it's, out, it's lovely. Yeah. That ripples out to the people yeah. that are around you, right? Cause your cup is filled and suddenly your evening is a, a lovely evening with your family. <laughs> so they're benefiting. Yeah from you getting your cup built, right? Or maybe you're in a situation where like you've got, like I, okay, I'm going to back up and pause here. So some people, myself included, have had to go through challenging times with loved ones, right? And I, for several years, several, several years, I had a very sick partner. I had very sick parents and I was the caregiver. I was it. I was it. I was on for all of them. And I had two young kids. And the only yeah. time I could step away and have a way to think was when I stepped into my studio. And otherwise, the yeah. rest of the time, it was just chaos. And, and I knew that chaos was going on out there, but I just needed to take a break because then when my cup was full, I actually had room to give to all the people that needed it from me in my life. So yeah. you really are benefiting other people when you fill your own cup like that. Oh, it's so important. And I just remember feeling um, that way myself as a young parent, you know, to my yeah. my son, um, you know, and just feeling like, wait, you know, I was a single mom and I was like, okay, like I, in order for me to be a good parent, I need to ha- be really happy. I need to take yeah. really good care of myself. And yeah. prior to that, I really didn't have that knowledge. And I feel like that's something that I've spent my entire life like working toward, right? Like there's this self-care that, you know, it's sort of a coined phrase that everybody, oh, self-care, self, you know, it's so important. But like when you actually sit down and like really assess like whether or not you're you're living in a place where you're really caring for yourself is so important. And I think that for me, and it sounds like for you as well, you found that sweet spot, right, in this making process. 
um, I have kind of a funny story to share about that. And about a year ago, I think it was about a year ago, I decided I wasn't going to make any more product to sell. I was just going to be like, I was just going to make product for fun because I had made, I've been making product, you know, for like over 30 years. And I wanted to like change my business model and sort of move into more of like podcast, summit host, Stitcherhood, which is my online community for textile upcyclers. You know, just just focus on that and have the making part be the fun part. And um, a couple months ago, when I hosted the second annual summit, I, I really work hard at trying to make things accessible, right? And, and you were talking about that with the quilting industry and having like all of these new fabrics be so expensive. And like, there's a huge part of the population that is just not going to be interested because it's just beyond their means. So I was thinking about the summit the previous year had cost $300 to attend. So I'm like, I'm going to do a free summit. It's going to be free. And then when I looked at all the numbers afterward, I was like, oh my gosh, like that cost a lot of money. It cost me tons and tons of money. And like, so it wasn't a free cold, summit. Like, I, it cost it's money. Not, it's not a, you know, not a viable business model. And really since then, I've been digging into that and just looking at what, you know, what is it that really is integral to my business. And it's so funny. I don't know. Have you ever done this where it's like the thing that you really need is actually like right the flip in front of you? Like, oh, yeah. Like, right I feel like you and I are on this parallel path. It's crazy. Like, a couple of weeks ago, so r- right around the time you had the same kind of thoughts, I think that like our, our geniuses were kind of giving us both the same strings, really, because I was on a, a road trip for a quilt show and the quilt show went okay. I was there as a vendor. I was selling sustainable products like organic thread and handcrafted tools and really things that speak to me in terms of if I'm going to sell something, these are the kinds of things I want to sell. So that was, it was good. It wasn't like stellar, but it was good. And I realized while I was there, if I had stayed home and done the commission that I have sitting waiting for me to do, I would have made more money. (laughs) Right. So then you have to like assess, right? I'm assessing. I'm going through this like, what, what's important here? What do I really need to do? And what, what actually makes sense for me going forward in this business? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you're just tuning in, I am chatting with my friend Bridget O'Flaherty today and her business. She's the sustainable quilter. She has a beautiful podcast and we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about what all is assessing has been doing for us. Today's episode of Rags to Riches podcast is brought to you by the Stitcherhood Recycling Society, my online membership community for creative textile upcycling, recycling, and reuse entrepreneurs. Inspiration, shared experience, tutorials, business savvy, and connection to a whole posse of people who understand the passion and intricacies of running an environmentally kind creative textile upcycling biz. Daily posts, weekly stitch hours, book recommendations, group chats, member profiles, and strong connections is what you can expect when you join Stitcherhood. Head on over to stitcherhood.crispina.eco and sign up for a free seven-day trial to see if my Stitcherhood Recycling Society is a good fit for you and your textile upcycling business. All right, Bridget. So, 
you got back from the show, the quilt show, and what what have you been up to since then? Like, how are you looking at this experience and kind of figuring out what might be a good option for moving forward? Um, well, honestly, I'm still chewing on it a lot um, because I have a day job as well. So I don't get a lot of space to think outside of my day job. And the other part of my life, the other the, where I'm normally doing my quilting, I've had to be getting my taxes done. They're a little late. <laughs> I've been working, I've been doing all my bookkeeping and book work, which is also actually really good because it's giving me a financial picture of where I was at for the whole year. And so I think once I'm done that, I'm going to have some better data. I, I'm a bit of a data nerd. I like data. Me I too. Think, yeah. I love data. Spreadsheets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Spreadsheets are a dream. My boyfriend. Really yeah. 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 So I'm I'm working my way through that. So I'll have a much better picture of where I want to put my focus. But what I realized, even just from the show, that the things that sold the most were things that were connected to me and my art. And I'm realizing I just need to kind of stay in my own lane, right? Like I'm not that I can't expand and have these conversations around sustainability and pushing that conversation more and sharing that experience um, because I have started my own online community as well. I have the Green Stitchers Hive and I've got some folks in there. We're doing some really interesting stuff. We're really kind of digging into the different ideas and understandings of different materials that we've used historically and what that means mm-hmm. and what the sustainability picture is for those things. But that's mm-hmm. been really cool. And I really like doing that. I like having these conversations. So it's a big part still, I think, of everything that I want to do. I want to continue to write. I love writing. I've been writing articles for the Canadian Quilters magazine. Over the last year, I've written three articles. They want me to keep doing that as a regular piece about sustainability. So in textiles. So that's I really cool. Love- Yeah. So I love doing all those things and I want to give myself space to do that. But I think when it comes to the money-making part of my world, I need to just do my art. And so I'm trying to clear space off of my desktop and have the papers gone so that I can come back to Mm -hmm. focusing on my art and and creating. I love it. I love creating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really funny because, you know, I was sharing before the break that um, I had decided like a year ago that I wasn't going to make product to sell. And, you know, after the summit, I was I was I was really tired and I had worked so hard. My whole team had worked so hard and we put on an amazing event. I just loved all of it. And, you know, the only thing that, that like the like missing piece is just that one you know, profitability. And I really, I'm of a mind that I can't as a business person, I, I, this is my day job. I, you know, it it always has been, I have to make money so that I can, you know, live my life and, um, keep my family afloat in the place that they're used to. So it's really important to me as well to model that for other people, right? I was actually in a meeting with a group yesterday and they were talking about selling product. And I find this is kind of an interesting thing to consider as well as like when people sell product, if they're, um, you know, just making something for fun and they're selling product for less than it costs them to make it, it kind of makes the rest of the people have a more difficult time to sell their product at what it costs them to make it because they can't 
they can't sell it. They can't compete with the people who are not really concerned with having a viable business model in place. So, you know, that's just, I mean, I, it was interesting. I, I didn't think of that. Somebody else mentioned it and I was like, oh, that's exact. I, I so agree with that. And I feel like when, you know, when we're in these um, situations where you're at a quilt show and I'm hosting a summit and there's like all of this kind of fervor and excitement and it's like so cool to be surrounded by all these people when it's all said and done you know you might decide that you don't really want to do the quilt show again and I might decide that well I love doing the summit but something about it has to be so different to make it possible for me to continue to do the summit right so Mm. there's all different ways to kind of get to where you need to be. And the thing that I think I I always kind of return to is knowing, and you and I and the people that we interact with in our communities and in, in our circles of friends are creative people. And one of the gifts that we have as that are ways to figure things out, right? Like we have the ability to be creative in our solution finding as well. And I feel like that is kind of where I am with my assessing and um, just looking carefully at that. So yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure exactly where I will go with all of it. I know that I'm going to be doing more creative work than I have been over the last couple of years. Um, And I still, still though, a big part of the what what feeds me is being able to share knowledge. And I love being involved with people who, like yourself, and I've just met so many cool people with doing the podcast. And it feels like there's this like small army starting to form, you know? And and not that it's a war yeah. that we should be fighting, but I just kind of feel like 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 a big team is coming together that all kind of have the same prime directive. And the more of that that yeah. happens, the more interesting this space will become around sustainability and the more possible it will all come as well. It's so true. And I find that to be so invigorating and just like refreshing. It just gives me so much to 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 work for. I've, you know, when I started doing what I do, I, I started my business in 1987 and, but you know, for reals in 1989 and there was nobody doing what I do. And it was yeah. really, it was hard, you know I mean? I, I joke about it and, and make light of it, but there was no support. There was nobody to ask, like, how do you cost things that are made out of varying material? Right. <laughs> and when you're running a business, you know, yeah. like nobody knew how to answer that question for me. You know, I could, I went to, you know, the Economic Development Council. I went to the Small Business Administration. I went to all the, you know, SCORE organizations. Like, nobody knew how to cost stuff for me. And now people do. And it's, like, so, so exciting to see all of the movement and the care and the genuine, like, real, like, passion around figuring out an alternative to what we have developed as humans on the planet for the norm of consumption, right? Like, yeah. Well, one of the other pieces in all of that for me is this awareness all of a sudden that we have of our material impact, right? And our general carbon footprint, which is this sort of buzz term that's out there right now. But it's, it's, it's a real thing, right? Like we move through the, our days having a carbon impact on the world and by the choices that we make every day. And I'm really curious 
I so I I'm a bit of bit of an academic. I wouldn't say that like I'm I'm not an official academic, but I love researching. I mm-hmm. I went back to school a few years ago and finished my um, undergrad, which I had never done because life got in the way. So I went and finished my undergrad in um, environmental studies. So I got this opportunity to do a lot of research, and it's it was really very cool to do that. And now. I'm excited about kind of digging into understanding how the materials we choose actually make a difference in small businesses, in these small spaces, because we've got sort of this bigger idea of what our carbon footprint is around travel and our vehicle use and our power consumption in our homes. But when we're trying to make decisions as small businesses around which materials we're going to use, how do we know what is a good decision? And I still don't know that mm-hmm. the answers to that, but that's some of the research that I'm going to be doing over the next year is figuring that out and figuring out some carbon accounting for the textiles in a small scale and mm-hmm. what that can look like. Yeah. That's really cool. And it kind of dovetails on, you know, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, it's all great to be creative, but one of the things that I know I have is like way too many ideas. Oh, I have a thousand ideas. It's ridiculous. (laughs) And then I'm going to have this, I'm going to have a summit and I'm going to have this directory and like on and on and on. But one of the things that I have not had a chance to do, and I'm not sure that I will, um, but I would love to watch to see somebody else do it, or maybe and you know empower somebody else to to take a stab at it. Is to track the the what you're saying basically is track the footprint of what we use. Like in Stitcherhood, people use you know most of what everybody's using are discarded waste material. Yeah. If it's used clothing or manufacturer's waste or whatever um, stuff that has not you know, it's not brand new. Nobody went to the store and bought it brand new, but how much are we upcycling? What's the the poundage of, or the kilo, the weight that we are actually, what's the impact that well, we're having as a group? And wouldn't it be cool to have that group understanding, right? Like be able to plug in and keep contributing and see what kind of difference we're making. So yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah. I'm working and, on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, I mean, I, when I, I ran my production company for 22 years. And over that period of time, I upcycled 250,000 pounds of material. Amazing, And it was amazing. And it was so, so cool. And it was also, you know, then you got to think about those ripples, right? Like the inspiration that was created when somebody went into that store and saw that blanket and thought, oh, wow, that's made out of recycled sweaters. What could I make out of recycled sweaters and have then that is another piece of it, right? So there's like this sort of trickle down um, impact that is being made and and without we there's, I don't know if there's a way to track that, but I feel like tracking the first level of like what we are actually keeping from being thrown away is the first step, I feel like. And I, I think that the level of empowerment that comes when you realize that you, you by yourself, one person has the ability to make an impact. Yeah pretty powerful. Yeah, it's hugely powerful. Yeah. So that's, that's my project for the next year is to figure out, do my art and figure out how to track my own stuff that I'm doing, including when I'm purchasing new materials, you know, am I better off choosing an organic cotton or am I better off choosing a recycled polyester, um, polyethylene, the RPET, because that's keeping the plastics out of the waste stream. 
which really is better? Right. I don't know the answer to that yet. So I'm, I'd love yeah. to be able to kind of have a decision tree for myself, you know, so that I can say, well, if I've already done this much, so it's okay if I do this, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if, if yeah. that's something that makes sense. I, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. No, it does. It's really interesting. And I think it's so true. And I, I kind of feel like that also speaks back to the first part of the conversation when we were talking about fast fashion. You know, people oftentimes and when I like large volume companies will promote one thing that they're doing that has, you know, environmentalism at its core. And I'm thinking about H&M right now, sure. like H&M, you can bring clothing to their store. They'll take back. It doesn't have to be H&M clothing, you know, but is H&M a an environmentally minded company at, at its core? No, um, not at all. No, no not at all. <laughs> absolutely not. No, and, and that's that's moving on greenwashing, right? Yeah, totally. It's it is. It's greenwashing, and then people. I mean, it's not it's not bad that they take back clothing. Yeah. That's awesome that they take back clothing. But the 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 thing that needs to be known is that any company whose modus is to sell as many pieces to as many people as physically possible is not environmentally minded. And uh, with the highest profit. Yeah. Highest profit margin. Yeah. And, 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 you know, selling, encouraging the consumption of excessive belongings is, it's not what we need to be doing as people on the planet right now. We just need to be thinking really carefully about what we bring into our homes, into our lives. What do we need? What do we love? Where do we find yeah. joy? And yeah, if it doesn't fall into one of those categories, we probably don't need to be consuming it. Yeah. Yeah. I always, um, I mean, as much as it makes me feel like I'm an indecisive shopper, but I, w I will always do a little pause and it's like, well, I've been okay without this for the last 15 years. Do I really need it again right now? <laughs> Do I need yeah. this? No, maybe not. I'm fine. Maybe I'll go see if I can find it at a reuse center instead. I don't need this new yeah. thing. There yeah. are some things that I will buy new. For sure. Yeah. But, oh, underpants, socks. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Doing well, it. Even yeah. shoes. I kind of. Shoes. I need good I buy shoes. shoes. I do. Yeah. yeah I need yeah. good shoes. But, you know, Bridget, um, yeah. the other thing I want to circle back to um, is the the mental health aspect of what um, the making process. And um, I remember when the pandemic first came kind of into full swing, I was looking at that. Like, what is it? What is it that people need right now? People need to feel like they're connected. People need to feel supported. People need to feel like they're accomplishing something. And I remember just reading a lot about like the brain connection to making with your hands and the science behind that as, um, you know, there's actual like science that says when you are creating things, you're building your self-confidence, you're diminishing stress and anxiety, you're addressing and you're releasing endorphins you're releasing endorphins and you're you're feeling good and when you're doing that in a group then that group becomes part of what helps you feel that um reward if you will yeah. and you know knowing that you had this time in your life where you were processing grief and dealing with so many things that were just really hard um and coming to that space and knowing this is what i need to do to fill my cup um I think that's really valuable. And I think that 
you know, giving that permission to people who might be dealing with similar sorts of stress in their lives is it's not an indulgence. It's not like you're doing, you know, in that situation, you were doing something that was excessive or, you know, it wasn't, you weren't getting your nails done and eating bonbons, you know, you were taking care of yourself. And I think being really clear about that um, and allowing that to kind of allow permission, right? Yeah. Well, and, and more on that thought as well is also the permission to not have to create. To put yourself in creative spaces, but you don't have to create. There was a long time for me where creativity left the building. I was too full of dealing with grief. I had three people die within one year who were very close to me, and it was hard. And for a good solid year, I had no capacity for creating. But I put myself in creative spaces all the time. I would go to the galleries, I would go to the quilt shows, I would go to spaces where I was still giving myself creativity without having to create it. And so I think that's Mm -hmm. also an important thing for folks because I felt guilty for a really long time. Isn't isn't my textile supposed to be what saves me? (laughs) And and I couldn't do it. I I could not do it. I couldn't face it. It was too hard for whatever yeah. reason. I, and I'm still sort of processing why, but, yeah. you know, that, it was hard. And so I also would hope that if other folks are feeling that, that part of it, that there, it's okay to not be able to create. It's awesome if you get into that space where you can and really, really fill your cup that way. Fantastic. Yeah. But it's also okay if you yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, it, you know, as well as, um, you know, having this fresh outlook on materials and where value is, you know, like, you know, maybe 15 years ago, people thought value was where, you know, that those big, beautiful new collections come out from the quilting fabric companies. And that's what they were, they were really excited about that. And now circling around and saying like, that is valuable and beautiful and have added if that's your thing, but you can find value in other places as well. I think that, you know, the diversity of um, that and what people are drawn to is is sort of similar to, you know, you being like, I can't create right now. I need to like just keep the creativity around me. I need it to be in my sphere, but not in my hands, maybe. And I think other people might dive in so deep that they don't they they can kind of block out the things that are really sure. hard for them yeah. to navigate. So yeah. it almost um, you know, there's just different humans ways. Are very of, interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, humans are interesting. Yeah, how people navigate stress and and grief and and yeah. loss in their lives is is so personal and but I with all of that said I feel like having a creative outlet having a way to get into a flow state where you're making and you're just you know things are oh it's nothing like you know maybe there's things happening around you and maybe there's not and you really don't know (laughs) because you're just making you know is um is a really super helpful tool for um for a lot of for sure hard things I think right yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I definitely have been there with that as well. Yeah. So to switch yeah. the subject is really a little, like I'm going to pivot a little bit. Um, the quilt world today is very different than the quilt world of 20 years ago, 30 years ago when I started. Uh-huh. Um, 
And I am seeing a huge shift happening around sustainability and around upcycling, and it's coming back to that. You know, this year at the, the Canadian Quilters Association, they have a, a national conference every year uh-huh. called Quilt Canada, which is where I was. Um, this year, for the first time, they introduced an award of excellence in sustainability. Wow. And which was amazing to see that. And the Quilt Festival in the UK also has a sustainability category. So I'm hoping that the American Quilt festivals and competitions will also start to introduce that kind of stuff. And we'll start seeing that as normal instead of as this other thing, you know, and this minority. I think that it's going to help get it normalized. It's pretty exciting to start seeing that happening from large organizations. That is really cool. And in, you know, that setting, it's like, there's no, it's, it's, there's, the le- there's no greenwashing involved. It's like this. No. This is just a an honor and a, a you know shining light on someone who is using their creative process to really um, bring sustainability to the forefront, which is just beautiful. And it just it makes me so happy when I hear things like that because it's it's I know it's so encouraging and it's really you know. If we look back on our lifetimes and f- think about all the changes that we've seen, it's so encouraging. And I feel like sometimes I get yep. caught up in this moment and I look around and I'm like, oh my gosh, fast fashion, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, go on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or anything and type in upcycled textiles or refashioned oh, clothing there. or anything. There's pages of pages of people doing amazing, cool things. So it's, um, yep. you know, it's really lovely to witness that and to just remember to, to be excited about all of those new changes that are happening. So it, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It is so lovely to chat with you, Bridget. I could go on and on. Maybe we should plan another episode in a few months when we can circle back and talk more about our creative processes and like where we found ourselves, you know, after after this conversation. Um, yeah, no, I'd love to do that. Where can people find you? I would love to just get people in touch with you and, and have them see what you're up to. Yeah, well, I'm on, um, I have a website. It's just BridgetOflaherty.com. And I am on Instagram and on Facebook and I'm there as the sustainable quilter. You can find me there. I have a little bit on YouTube, again, sustainable quilter. I don't have a lot there. Um, And then through my website, you can uh, join the green stitchers hive and come on into that space where we can, you can connect. It's, it's a much more of a community space and shared experiences. So it's, it's, we have some good conversations going on in there. That's awesome. And we'll have links to all of those places on our show notes page. So you can find Bridget really easily if you're driving or sewing on a sewing machine like I usually am when I'm listening to podcasts. Um, go over to ragstoriches.eco and our um, episode list is right there. And you can check out Bridget in all of her glory and catch up with her there too. So thank you so much for being with me, Bridget. It's such a pleasure. Thank you, Pospina. It's been great. Hey, so I'm over here and I'm serving you a giant air hug because you just finished another episode of the Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast. Thank you for being with me. Our music is provided by The Lucky Five. Learn more about them at theluckyfive.com. Our show is produced and edited by Van Dalhyacin. 
If you want to dive in deep, head over to Rags to Riches Textile Upcycling Podcast.com. Thank you.